Aaron Judge has reached the 60 home run threshold in a season for the ages. With an enormous payday looming, why October is even more important than what he's done on the field this year. The Mets and Braves are a carbon copy of the NL West race last year between the Giants and Dodgers, but with a different twist. NFL Week 3 begins tonight in Cleveland as I'll preview the schedule, as well as Week 4 in college football. Speaking of big paydays, Nathan McKinnon has reached the top of the NHL mountain, not only as a winner, but being the top paid player as well with training camps opening up throughout the league today. Robert Sarver is now going to sell the Suns and Mercury, and what in the hell is happening with Coach Ime Odoka in Boston? Autumn is here, so let's kick off the new season like we always do in these parts. With rapid-fire, entertaining, and informative sports talk unlike any other, it's all coming up. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The day has come. The first day of fall. Okay, now we can start to slowly but surely break out the sweatshirts, the long pants, the overcoats, the pumpkin lattes, get in season as far as the colors changing in these parts, especially here in the Northeast. Yes. We can now welcome fall and the season of autumn with open arms. As I hope you do this podcast because I got a lot to get into talking about everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. As I mentioned, lots to dive into College football week four, we'll get to see what the schedule looks like. I haven't seen it, so I want to surprise you and do this. Obviously, this isn't live, but in a moment where it's not programmed, I'm going to take a first look at it and get my reaction instantly as to what the upcoming college football weekend will look like. NFL week three kicks off tonight in Cleveland, as I mentioned, where the Steelers will face the Browns, and that's going to be a big game for Mitch Trubisky. Let's call it as we see it. I'll touch on that in a little while. 
NBA, we got some news there with training camps opening up on Tuesday throughout the league. Robert Sarver, we talked about this last week. He's going to sell the Suns. It's been announced. I don't know if it's been public outcry. I don't know if there's been just internal pressure with people that he works with. But he's going to move on and see what he could get. I'm sure it's probably going to be in upwards of 2 to $2.5 billion with B. And also the Phoenix Mercury, which he also owns. And then there's this report that has come out about Coach Ime Odoka of the Celtics, which has me a little bit surprised, and he's facing a suspension. So I'll share my thoughts on that later on. Anything else that's going on in the world of sports, you know I got you covered, whether it's the NHL as training camps open up today, speaking of which. So now as we turn that season, as the fall is now here, we're going to start ushering in, come next month, hockey and basketball. And Nathan McKinnon, who came off of a Stanley Cup victory, is now the highest paid player in the league. So I'll get on that as well as a couple of retirements as well. Like I said, a lot to dive into. Let's get right to it, people. And we're going to start off with baseball. I know the big story, especially here in New York, has been Aaron Judge. And he has finally hit the 60 home run plateau. Now, it's not a plateau if he's just going to be stuck here over the course of the next, what, 12 games of the season? Because now we're inching closer. We're in the home stretch of the baseball season. That two weeks from today, we'll be talking about a wild card scenario, which obviously is not going to matter when you're a Yankee fan because they're going to be the two seed locked in for the division series. But for the Mets, and we'll get to that, how they need to win a division because if they don't, we'll be talking about them as a wild card participant and previewing that series. But we still have time to watch how the rest of the season's going to unfold, and I'll get to the Mets in a second. But back to Judge 60 home runs. We know the accomplishment hasn't been done in the American League going back to Roger Maris in 1961. We know all the numbers. We know all the storylines. We've talked about this for weeks. And now as Judge is going into this next series against the Red Sox where they swept the Pirates and they won that final game. We talked about it on Monday in Milwaukee. And of course the game there on Tuesday night was miraculous to say the least. They had gone into the bottom of the ninth inning trailing 8-4. to Judge hits a solo shot to match Babe Ruth and is one away from Roger Maris all-time in the American League and, of course, the Yankee team record. But with Stanton hitting the grand slam to cap off the comeback and an improbable win, now as the Red Sox come to town, and I'm sure the Yankee fans are going to salivate and stick it to the Red Sox to know that Judge is just one home run and two home runs away from standing alone at the top of the AL home run mountain. But here's the one thing that I get it. The playoffs haven't begun and we're still a couple of weeks away. But the one thing I thought about in the last couple of days, and it's a very interesting debate and an interesting question to ask for all the sports fans out there. Let's say Aaron Judge hits 62, 63, 64 home runs. It doesn't matter at this point. We know he's going to be the AL MVP. We've known about this for months. And he has this monstrous season. I get it. You can rank it up with the greatest of all time. I know it's going to be tough to match it with Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Rogers Hornsby, Ted Williams. We can go on down the line. Jimmy Fox. In the last 50 years, by far, maybe even 60 years, you want to go back to Maris, you want to go back to Mantle? This has been a season unlike any other. Even Miguel Cabrera, who got the Triple Crown in 2012, Had no numbers even close to this. Maybe with the slugging, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but with the home runs, RBIs could be 
close, but still, it's been an otherworldly year by number 99. But the thing is, when we get to next month, and the pitching is a lot better, and the competition is a lot stiffer, and let's say if Aaron Judge in the division series goes 3 for 18, Yankees win the series, and that's all that matters, correct? But he goes 3 for 18 with 8 strikeouts, does hit a home run, maybe a couple of RBIs, not going to say in a meaningless spot, but let's say it's in the 4th inning of a game 2. And then he goes on to face the Astros. And in that series, he goes 5 for 25, which is a 200 average, 1 home run, 4 RBIs, a boatload of strikeouts, and the Yankees lose in 6 games. We know that he's going to get paid a fortune no matter what. And I'm sure there may be an owner out there that is looking to back up the Brinks truck to the driveway of Aaron Judge's home or even to the front door of his penthouse high-rise somewhere in Manhattan. And they're not going to care what he did in October. It's a matter of box office. It's a matter of star appeal. It's a matter of bringing people into the ballpark. Understood. We know baseball is a business. But let's say he has an October to forget in a season that everyone is going to remember. What do you think the asking price is going to be? Do you think that the Yankees, and of course they want to win a World Series, but you have to wonder privately, if he has a monster October, and let's go back to 2004 to the October that Carlos Beltran had, hitting home runs left and right, almost single-handedly beating the St. Louis Cardinals during that postseason, and yes, they did fall short, and they did not go on to the World Series, but Beltran did get the big payday by the Mets, $119 million, pretty much based on what he did in the postseason. Now, if Judge could piggyback what he's done here over the first five and a half months and parlay that into October, then forget about it. You might as well just fill out a blank check for him, whatever those numbers are. But if he does stub his toe... If he does happen to fail, and if he does not deliver in big spots, do you think the price goes down a little bit? All right, you want to split hairs. So instead of him getting $400 million, he may get $375 million, or even three fifty. But you have to wonder if you're a Yankee fan, and more so the Yankee front office, I know that they want Judge to deliver them a championship that they haven't had in 13 years. But you have to wonder if the... Judge Camp and Aaron has a postseason comparable to what he's done here in the regular season, then I got news for you. They're going to have no choice but to sign this man and pretty much give him stock and ownership for this team. That's all there is to it. But it's a fascinating question to ask because if he does fail and does not come through in the clutch here in October, not that it's going to matter, he's going to get his money 300 some odd, a million, whatever it's going to be. But it could be that much more similar to what I mentioned about Beltron to where he could be in a stratosphere all by himself or at least close to the biggest salary in sports or contract, I should say, in a one Mike Trout. That is something that we're going to have to watch, especially when the games get that much more intense, more important to see what Judge could do when the money is on the line. The race in the NL East... 
it is going to come down to those final three games. And I wish that the games were to conclude the season as opposed to being the next to last series of the year. It's going to be reminiscent of the 85 to a lesser degree. If you recall the 85 NL East race between the Cardinals and Mets where it came down to that next to last series. Now, of course, it's a lot different this year because even if the Mets do not win a division, they're going to be in the postseason where back then, if you recall, for those who were alive or those who were old enough to remember that the division was won by the one team. So even if the Mets that year who won 98 games fell short of the postseason where here, even if they are just a game back of the NL East, they're still going to make it to the playoffs only as a wild card. And I'll get to that in a minute. But the series, which will start a week from tomorrow, and with the Braves losing yesterday finally to the Nationals, to where the Mets had an opportunity to get an extra game ahead in the standings, which would have put them at two above as they fly out to the West Coast to play the A's. But what happened? They lose 6 nothing. They get themselves on a flight to the Bay Area. And now they're going to have to sit for a day to see what the Phillies will do tonight in Philadelphia. Hopefully it will be a little payback. Because the Phillies, who had not played well, especially in Atlanta over the weekend to where they got swept, and we talked about that on Monday. So let's see if they could bounce back here. We understand that they're in a fight themselves for the wild card, knowing that they could either be a five or six seed in the National League. But with the Phillies, let's see if they could do the Mets a favor. Ha! Wishful thinking that is. But with the Mets now going to Oakland and then afterwards with a day off on Monday, play two games against Miami, with another day off Thursday before going to Atlanta. And then the Braves will have the Phillies this weekend, as I mentioned, before they go to Washington for three games, followed by an off day, and then Armageddon will begin at Truist Park eight days from now. The Mets got two out of three. That's what you wanted, including a big win there on Tuesday. Max Scherzer with the perfecto for six innings, and... The only thing I'm going to say about that, did I like it? Absolutely not. I wish he could have continued. And even, let's say, if he pitched a clean seventh inning. Let's say he threw 12 pitches. He would have been at 80 pitches seventh inning. There's no way that Buck, coming off of this injury and knowing that he has to save his arm and his body for October, as much as I would have loved to have seen him continue and try to go for perfection... And the minute that he gave up a walk, a hit, or an error in the field, that it would be time for Scherzer to get the hook. But we all know the big picture. It's about him delivering this organization a World Series for the first time since 1986. And I know it's a little bit contradictory for me to say that because of what happened earlier this year with Clayton Kershaw in Minnesota where he pitched seven innings, 80 pitches, in 38-degree weather in Minnesota, and he got pulled, and this was in April. And he got pulled because they wanted to save his arm for October, which I thought was nonsense. And here I can't change my tune to be like, well, you got to save him for October now because it's late in the season. He's coming off of an injury. A and B, it's this late in the season that even if Buck left him in there, and God forbid that if Scherzer would have been crawling off that mound because he's holding onto his side or holding onto his elbow or shoulder, Met fans would want to have Buck Showalter's head as to why he kept them in the game, and it would have been the ultimate second guess. So how I look at it is, I didn't like it, I understand, and if you're going to ask me, would I rather see a perfect game 
or have a parade up the Canyon of Heroes down in lower Manhattan come early November, give me the parade. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about perfect games. It's not about four home run games, no hitters, cycles, hitting streaks, whatever. The old saying, it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that ring. And as a starving Met fan, I want the ring. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. And the Guardians are in great shape. I talked about this last week where they had this stretch against the White Sox and Twins going back to last Thursday, which they did lose the game to the White Sox. But since then, they had won four to five against the Twins to bury them. And then they won the first two games here against the White Sox. They could go for the sweep today. And all you could say is that the Guardians have been resourceful. Are they going to be long for October? Chances are probably not. Could they get away with maybe winning a wild card round if they go up against Tampa? Seattle will be a little tricky. That could be dangerous. But maybe they could be competitive. Maybe they could hang around and steal a series because they're going to be big-time underdogs no matter who they play, whether it's Toronto, whether it's... Well, they're not going to play Toronto if they're the four seed, but they could drop... And Toronto at the present moment are actually in good stead, two and a half games ahead, and I'll get to that in a second. But give it up for the Guardians. They've done exceptional here down the stretch. They certainly turned their season around. They're 82 and 67. They've been able to battle whatever they've had to go through here from the start of the year. Francona with his health going back to last year. Not a big time offense. Yes, they do have good pitching and also a very good bullpen. But they have been phenomenal here and deserving of winning this division. So we could pretty much put the Guardians, even if they lose today to the White Sox, this is their division, give them the crown, and now we could just concentrate on the one division, that being the NL East. Now as we get to the aforementioned wild card, Toronto currently at 84-65, and 65, two games in the loss ahead of both Tampa and Seattle, but two games ahead of both teams with the... Mariners have a game in hand against Tampa. Tampa had a rough stretch here early part of this week as they got swept by the Astros. They barely scored a run, actually two last night. And word came down that there was an incident, an altercation between Randy Rosarena and Yandy Diaz. I don't know if it was in the dugout or in the clubhouse, but things starting to fall apart here for the Rays. And I got news for you. I got them as an under at 89 and a half. Now, they're going to make it to the postseason. The Orioles have not played well here. They've pretty much been playing 500 or even sub-500 ball. And with, what, 12 games to go. Let me see. Let me do my math here. 77 and 71. That's 140. They have 14 games. A lot of these teams have about 14 games, considering 14 days left in the season. But I think the Orioles, time has run out on them. They need to really run the table here. Maybe... If anything, they could probably lose two games at the max and hope that everybody else comes back to the pack. But you think it's going to be Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle that are going to be a part of this first round in the wild card. But let's see Tampa and even the Mariners. They've stubbed their toe here down the stretch. They have not played well. Remember, they have been hot for quite some time. But now, I guess they're kind of going through it, trying to get to the finish line, trying to pop the bubbly to at least be a participant in this postseason. So... We will continue to keep our eyes on that. But Toronto right now looking like they're in good shape to host in the first round. And if you didn't hear, Canada has uplifted the ban on travel into the country when it comes to vaccinations and things of that nature. So even if you're an unvaxxed player, you could cross the border, play in Toronto, and that goes for all sports. 
So for whichever team that you're a part of and have not been vaccinated and you have to go to Toronto, especially in a postseason setting, at least you won't have to worry about having to either coerce or have to put players off of your roster based on their vaccination status. And then in the National League, it's pretty much Padres, Phillies, and Brewers. The Brewers are hanging in tough. Three in the loss. They had a big win yesterday, and they needed that in the worst way because they have 13 games left to go. And even though it's the three-game advantage by the Phillies right now where they're a game and a half behind the Padres, one in the loss, but they do have a game in hand. So that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on, and I would think that game in hand is probably this weekend as the Braves come to town. But I think the Brewers... Not to say that they're in the same scenario as the Orioles, but they're going to have to also run the table here, at least come close to that in order for them to get into the postseason. And the Phillies, this is a big weekend for them. They would have to at least win three out of four, I think, for their psyche and for the clubhouse to at least have some sense of confidence to at least have a step in the right direction because they may face the... Braves again in the first round. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the Phillies could have to go back to Atlanta in a three-game series to where we understand regular season and playoffs are two totally different animals, but being swept last week by them, and let's say they lose three out of four and still face them come the second weekend of October, that's not going to bode well. They want to know that they belong on the field against this team, and I'm sure quietly they do, but... It has to be in their heads and maybe in their hearts a little bit that if they do not perform well this weekend, who knows? This could be a team that will get into the postseason by default and could be meekly heading into the offseason without a win in a wildcard round. So let's keep that in mind. Besides that, nothing else to really discuss. I know Albert Pujols still stuck on 698. He did break up Blake Snell's no-hit bid in the seventh inning yesterday in San Diego. I believe it was in the seventh inning. So we'll keep our watch not only on Judge, but Pujols as they try to attain some big-time milestones in the sport. As I turn my attention to the NFL, putting on my helmet and shoulder pads, week three tonight, I know the games Monday night were an absolute bore. Buffalo, they look like world beaters. And it's two games. We can't all of a sudden start printing up Super Bowl tickets just yet. We have to see how the season unfolds, people. I get it that everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. I get it. Bill's Mafia continues to jump off of vans on top of picnic tables or whatever their crazy rituals are, but the Super Bowl trophy is not given out on September the 22nd. So as of right now, they are looking formidable. They're looking like the team to beat, but we still have 16 more weeks to go before we can even think about the postseason, before we can even think about a Super Bowl. So let's pipe down a little bit as far as the Bills representing the AFC before we just barely get out of the summer. And then Minnesota-Philadelphia, I was very disappointed in Minnesota. I know Kirk Cousins could give you these stinker-type games, but the Viking defense was a no-show. Jalen Hurts ran up and down all over the field against them, threw for 333 yards, 26 for 31, and the Vikings did not have an answer for the quarterback, who's now 2-0, and a team that I picked as an under this year at 9.5, so that's not looking too good right out of the gate. But again, 16 more weeks, people. As we get to the Week 3 schedule tonight, I know people from the Amazon and the streaming and the traditional old man on the lawn perspective, they're going to look at this and say, 
why am I even watching this? It's glitchy, it's streaming, blah, blah, blah. Well, tonight I'm going to get a true first-hand look because last week I didn't watch every second of the Charger Chief game. I was engrossed in watching the Mets and with the scenario regarding this particular platform and Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet, who I actually liked in the few minutes that I did watch of the game, but I'm going to get a better feel tonight when I watch the Steelers going to Cleveland. And this is pretty much going to be a big-time task for Mitchell Trubisky in order for him to keep his job. He has to perform. They have to take off the training wheels. It's not as if Trubisky's a rookie. I get it that the Steelers want to play it safe. They want him to just manage the game. And yes, he did make four plays in the season opener against the Bengals. He barely made a couple of plays the other day against the Patriots. Not to say that they're going to have to open up the offensive floodgates or the playbook to the point where it was circa 2017 with Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell. They're not going to do that. But if Trubisky's going to want to keep his job, and if he's going to want to be able to perform to put points on the board, he's going to have to do it tonight, and it's for pretty much the whole world to see. And I get it that the Kenny Pickett regime, the fans are waiting for that. Me... I'm not ready to break out the pom-poms because this isn't a year that the Steelers are going to do anything. And yes, I get it that you want to put him in early enough to see what you're going to get out of him, but the season has just begun. Let Trubisky cough up the job on his own as opposed to the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, and the coaching staff not give him complete control or at least have the opportunity for him to make more plays, not just the safe and easy play, but for him to scramble a little bit, for him to get out of the pocket, for him to make plays with his legs, because that's what the Steelers have been saying, especially for the last two years, that they need to be more mobile at that position. They want to have somebody who's going to not only be able to throw the ball, but make plays with their legs. Well, guess what? Not to say Mitchell Trubisky is going to be confused with Lamar Jackson, but he's not a statue back there. So how about it? And with Cleveland, after that bad loss the other day against the Jets, I can see them winning this game. The Steelers' offense is terrible. You saw what the Steelers' defense is like without T.J. Watt. They didn't even get a sack on Mac Jones last week. And Lord knows, he is not Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson either. But we will see how this game unfolds tonight. I know it's going to be an eyesore when you're watching the Steelers' offense, but you know I'll recap it come Monday. And let's see if the Steelers, if they do win this game, at least for another week, you can look at two games on the road in the division for victories. That's the only saving grace that the Steel fan will have if they do eke out a win tonight in Cleveland. As far as the schedule overall, Buffalo-Miami is by far your highlight game. Yes, you could talk about Green Bay and Tampa. That's your 425 game. But we've seen Green Bay and Tampa. We've seen that movie before. Buffalo-Miami is a different movie. If Miami stepped up in class a little bit last week, now they're going to step up into an even bigger class this week. Hosting in the heat down in Miami against the Bills. And if you remember the game last year, which I believe was also in week three, off the top of my head, I think the score was 35-0. So if you're the coach, Mike McDaniel, and I understand you weren't there last year, but you have to address that the last time that this team was in your building, you were embarrassed. And nobody expects you to win. So I would have put that on my bulletin board all week 
to have that burned into their memory and to even play film from that game last year to know that this is not us. We're better than this. And let's see where that takes them come Sunday at 1 o'clock. But you do have Green Bay and Tampa, Rodgers versus Brady. We'll see how that unfolds. And that's generally right up the street when you think about it. So you have the big game at 1 o'clock in Miami and then you go right up to Turnpike 425 where you'll have the Packers go up against the Buccaneers. I don't like the NBC game, San Francisco and Denver. I get it with Garoppolo, now the quarterback. It's going to be a little bit more enticing. But am I going to go nuts to think, oh, I got to watch Niners-Broncos? Absolutely not. And a lot of the other games on the docket are pretty much a bore. Houston at Chicago, Vegas at Tennessee, Casey at Indy, Detroit at Minnesota, Baltimore at New England, eh. Bengals at the Jets, Philly at Washington, New Orleans at Carolina, Jacksonville at the Chargers, Rams at Cardinals, maybe because of the division game, Atlanta-Seattle, ugh, and then your Monday night game is Dallas at the Giants. Not a great one either. So, overall, not a great week. You wish you had a couple more games that you could sink your teeth into, but you do have the 1 o'clock game, you do have the 425 game, and at least you have, from 1 to 740, a window where you could zero in and see how these two teams, or these two games, will play out. A couple of news and notes here in the NFL over the last couple of days. Mike Evans with his brouhaha against the Saints. Marcus Lattimore gets suspended for one game this week, and he deserved that. You can't come from the sidelines and just torpedo yourself into the Saints' safety. So he's going to sit out this week, which is a big loss for Brady and their offense to go up against Green Bay. So we'll have to take a look to see what kind of a factor that's going to be. You may get a lot of Julio Jones in this game. So, well, again, we'll watch that all take place come Sunday afternoon. And then the other thing I want to discuss is the Hall of Fame when it comes to the first-year eligible guys. And it's a pretty good list. Three of them are locks, and the others are debatable, and I'll go through it quickly. The locks are Darrell Revis. Joe Thomas, the offensive tackle for the Browns, and Dwight Freeney. To me, those guys are locks to get in to Canton. The others are James Harrison, of course, the one-time stealer. Chris Johnson, the former running back of Tennessee. Jari Evans, the offensive guard from the Saints. Navarro Bowman, who was an excellent linebacker for the Niners. Cam Chancellor, we all know from the Legion of Boom, Seattle Seahawks, and Shane Leckler, the longtime punter of the Oakland Raiders. Now we know, well, I'll start with him, punters aren't sexy, but one day I think he'll make it to the hall. I don't know if he's going to be on the first time eligible, making it on the first ballot. It's quite possible. Who knows? Would I be shocked? I can't say I would. Maybe certain parts, they would be like, how are you going to put a punter in there? But Leckler did have a long and very good NFL career and is worthy of being a Hall of Famer. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe as we get deeper into the season, as we get close to them announcing who's going to be inducted to Canton, we'll take a look at it then. Chancellor, excellent safety. I'm sure he's made a few all-pro teams. I don't know how many off the top of my head, but I look at him as borderline. Navarro Bowman, when he blew out his knee in that championship game, 2014, against Seattle, up in Seattle, After that, he wasn't the same player, but he was a dominant player to go along with Patrick Willis. I believe was on several All-Pro teams. To me, he's borderline, but does not have the length. It's a la Terrell Davis when it comes to 
him having that short career but being dominant, is that worthy of him being selected by the committee to see if he could be enshrined in Canton? Remains to be seen. Jari Evans, I believe he has a bunch of all pros, but maybe on his first shot, probably not. And then Chris Johnson, who had the one 2,000-yard career, I believe, in 2008. Had his moments, was a very good running back, but is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think he is. And again, short career. He may have eclipsed 10,000 yards for his career, but other than a couple of the seasons, a lot of them were pretty much good, but not great. That's my NFL. Now let's get to the college football, and I'm going to check out this schedule on the fly here as we look at a week four. And next week, I believe you're going to have your Red River shootout between Oklahoma and Texas. That's usually the first Saturday in October. And now that I think about it, yes, that would be the week after next because tomorrow or this coming Saturday, I should say, is the 24th. So that would actually be the first. And if not the first, it's probably going to be the week after. But anyway, I digress. What you have here on this schedule, Clemson and Wake Forest, maybe Wake Forest could pull off an upset. And that's your 12 noon ABC game. Other than that, Florida, Tennessee, SEC, a lot of people are going to look at that. Maybe Florida could maybe make some hay. Not to say that they're going to be part of the discussion when it comes to the college football playoff, but at least people in that region may think by beating 11th ranked Tennessee that as they continue to creep up and maybe other teams start to fall off that who knows, the Gators, could they be one of the finalists when it comes to playing on New Year's Eve? Long shot, but again, you got hope. Besides that, your night game, which we like to base on, Arkansas and Texas A&M, 7 o'clock ESPN. That's a game that we'll have to keep an eye on if Arkansas loses and A&M, who beat Miami last week, back in the top 25. We shall see. Wisconsin at Ohio State. I'd be shocked if the Buckeyes lose at home to Wisconsin. Stranger things that happen. But overall, not a great schedule. You got a couple of games to keep an eye on, but nothing that you're going to say, wow, these are one or two games that I'm going to circle and really pay attention to. Now, can we get some upsets? We've already seen upsets so far in college football in this first month of the season. Of course, that could happen. But right now, as I look at it, Wake Forest being at home, that's a game that quite possibly... The Deacon Demons could win. I'm not saying they're going to by any stretch. But if Wake Forest pulls out a thriller at the end, 28-27, am I going to be, oh my goodness, I never saw that coming. I can't say that I wouldn't. And then the same there with Florida, Tennessee, although Tennessee's at home and they're the higher ranked team. But college football is going to have these lulls, people. It's going to not be like the NFL every week where you're going to have that witching hour or a couple of games that you didn't expect to come down to the wire. Yes, we have seen that a little bit so far, but we know that even in the NFL, if you have a bad week of games, there's always going to be two, maybe even three games or a handful of games that you're probably going to pull your hair out of your head to think, what the hell happened? Or how did this take place? Or I can't believe what I just saw. College football, you're not going to really see it as much. So that's what I have there. Now as I lace up my skates, that's right people, get ready because today 
is opening day for training camps throughout the National Hockey League. And I'm sure for the hockey fan, they're excited. They're raring to go. They're pumped up, especially here in this town with the Rangers. And before we even start previewing or even getting to anything that has to do with the league, there are a couple of things that I want to bring up. But as we prepare for a season, which I believe will open in about three weeks, I don't have the exact date, but let's get to training camp first. Let's see how that starts to settle in as we get ready for the chill in the air for the jackets and the turtleneck sweatshirts or sweaters, whatever you want to call it, as we prepare for the fall and winter sports. Nathan McKinnon, Colorado Avalanche, winning the Stanley Cup, as we know, back in June is now the highest paid player in the league, making, I believe, a little bit more than what Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers is making. He signed an eight-year, $100 million deal, which I believe is just $100,000 more annually. I believe he's making $12.6 million, where McDavid is making twelve point five. All right, splitting hairs, but we know McKinnon, he is a beast on the ice in Colorado, who I would think finally getting the piano off their backs after some dreadful postseason losses and them having a big-time cup run, capping it off by dethroning the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. I'm sure they're going to be primed and ready to repeat and be that next team to see if they can piggyback off of what Tampa did the last two years with their own back-to-back to see if the Avalanche could do the same. So McKinnon, congratulations to him, not only on the contract, but also, of course, with the cup. Him winning that, big time year for him as they get ready to defend their title. You also had a couple of retirements. Both defensemen in the league. One will be P.K. Subban, most notably for the Montreal Canadiens. Also played in Nashville. Played with the Devils, of course. Had a very good career. I'm not going to talk about Hall of Fame status or anything like that, but we know the type of player he was. Had a big time shot. Very good defenseman. And at the age of 33, he said, it's time for me to hang up the skates. So congratulations to him on a very good career. Again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, whether or not he is a Hall of Fame talent or maybe should be a part of sometime in the next five years, the discussion when it comes to going to the Hockey Hall of Fame up in Toronto. Could the same be said for one's Dano Chara? Maybe that's even a bit of a stretch only because, yes, he did have a lengthy career. He played, what, 24 years in the league, 44 years of age, tallest player ever to lace up skates, did win a Stanley Cup in 2011. I have to look back to see if he won any Norris trophies for best defenseman in the league, and the same would go for P.K. Subban. If I had to take a guess, I would think they probably had maybe one each, two would be at the most for either one of those two players. But Chara, what a career. Going back to the 90. 596 season, starting off with the Islanders and then predominantly playing for Ottawa before going to Boston. And then he had a couple of stints in between, ended up with the Islanders this past year. And now he goes off into the sunset, whatever the next chapter of his life is going to be. So congratulations to Sedano Chara on what he's done throughout his illustrious career. And listen, 24 years in the NHL, similar to what Joe Thornton's doing right now, who I believe came in the same year as Zdeno Chara, is a remarkable achievement. And we saw that happen recently with Yarmir Yager. We saw that even with Chris Chelios, who played well into their 40s, I believe into their mid-40s. And for Chara to do that, a demanding sport, the travel, etc. Uh, what could you say? 
just an unbelievable career, and now he could rest and pretty much take it easy. So, again, congratulations to both of those guys. Now, as I turn my attention to the NBA, and we talked about this last week, where Robert Sarver, the owner of the both Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA, has announced that he's going to sell the team. I don't know if it has to do with maybe a meeting with his family or just public outcry, whether it be in Arizona or throughout the league, whether there was a groundswell by players, and you did see that last week with LeBron James. I saw a lot of that with social media with a lot of different accounts about how Sarver needs to give up control of the team or he just needs to sell the team altogether. And Sarver, give it up. He's doing the right thing. And I'm sure knowing that whatever he purchased his team for going way back when, he's going to make that probably 50-fold. He's going to easily sell it for probably $3 billion. That would include the WNBA team. The NBA team alone is probably worth, off the top of my head, $2.2 billion at least. So it's not as if he's going to be in the outhouse or in the poorhouse by selling this team. And you know what? He had a decent run. And the reason why I say decent is because just him owning the team without his behavior, and I understand you can't excuse that, but he did make it to an NBA final two years ago. Granted that they had a 2-0 series lead and they lost. His team has been competitive. They did have some lean years. But with everything that has come out with this investigation, how he's treated employees, other workers, just inexcusable no matter how you slice it. Kudos to him for saying, you know what, maybe it's time for me to sell this team and just go off to wherever your compound is and just lay low, be out of the spotlight, so be it. So good job on him to not be that stubborn owner to say, I don't care and crusty and what did I do wrong and try to deny his accusations, etc. So good for him. And then just last night, or really this morning, I wake up to the news that Celtic coach Ime Odoka is facing a suspension and a lengthy one at that because of a relationship that he had with a member of the organization and with the guidelines by the Celtics, which for what we I've read here, that has been alleged that Udoka has crossed where you cannot have a relationship with someone within the organization and knowing that Udoka is even married, he's married to the actress Neil Long, for this to come out where training camp is in four days and not knowing how long the suspension is going to be, this is coming off the heels of an NBA Finals run with some reinforcements coming in, even though Gallinari, a guy that is going to be on the shelf pretty much for the whole year, and Malcolm Brogdon, and a lot of expectations. And again, it's not official, but it looks like the suspension could be, when I hear lengthy, they're even talking about the whole season. Now, not knowing all the details, I think that's a little harsh. If it's going to be half the season, okay, I get it that the guidelines are what they are, and he violated them, he crossed them. Okay, they're going to have to punish him. Not a slap on the wrist for five games or 10 games. They want to set the example. Okay, if it's 41 games, then so be it. If it's the whole season, I'd be shocked. And again, not knowing what these details are. Because this story has just surfaced here within the last 12 hours. Upon this recording, of course. So, if you're a Celtic fan, you can't be happy. And not knowing, again, 
the full scope of this story and what this is going to mean if he's going to be out half a year, the whole year, whatever. They say his job is not in jeopardy. So if there's one thing to hang your hat on, it's that because we know how much of a good young coach he's been. The turnaround of that team at 18 and 21 and for them to get to a game six of an NBA final in their building. Remarkable achievement. There isn't anything else that you could say about what he did there from that point on to get the Celtics not only back to respectability, but to the point where they're one of the odds-on favorites to get back to a final, maybe win. But who knows with this story and who knows who the interim coach will be. But let's see how this shakes down here over the course of the next few days and you would think the next week because with training camp right around the corner and with the Celtics having to make a decision and I'm sure they want to be swift with this so they can move on, answer all the questions that need to be answered and that's it. They could just take it from there and start off training camp in as good of a headspace and get themselves back on track because they know that the big goal this year is to get back to that NBA final and win it all. And of course, I'll talk about this as more information comes out and get my whole take on it. Right now, if you're a Celtic fan, you got to be disappointed. Forget about what he did morally. That's I mean, that's a whole other set of encyclopedias. But to think that he put himself first above the team and that's what he's preached to his team throughout and for him to do this on the eve, pretty much, or days before the start of training camp, for this to come out, who knows if this came out Right after the finals, who knows if this was in the middle of the summer, who knows if this has just been uncovered over the last 24 hours and it had to be announced. That we don't know. So, as more information comes in, and maybe even by Monday, the more I know, the more I'll share with everybody to give my thoughts, opinions, analysis on this developing story. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode almost in the books as I like to say each and every time thank you very much for stopping by thank you very much for investing your precious time to hear what it is to have to say about what goes on in the world of sports and if you haven't done so please subscribe rate review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast throw me a few stars write a review increase the visibility of this endeavor because as I've said to you before I'm not going anywhere this is what I love to do etc etc so if you could do that on whichever platform that you choose to listen to podcasts I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. If you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could do so at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels, one, just the number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute, to this podcast, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A, T is in Tom, R, E, O, N is in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% not only to the production of this podcast, to the upkeep of the website, equipment, etc. And soon I will put a post there on Patreon to try to attract more of you guys and gals to not only have exclusive content by yours truly as I will announce whether it be on social media or even more importantly through that particular platform because I want to engage with you guys and gals not even as much as I can but all that I can 
because without you, there's no me. And even without you guys and gals, I'm still going to do this because it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I am here to stay and I am not going anywhere because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about. I've been talking sports since I've come out of the womb, critiquing, analyzing my thoughts, opinions, feelings on anything and everything that goes on. The world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>